Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Discerninghearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Willis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Willis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you once more for joining me. It's a pleasure to be with you. We've been on a great journey through the interior castle. Well, just as in many journeys, sometimes there's times when you take a pause, isn't there? And then you come back, but you eventually will find your destination, which we have done in this great exploration of the interior castle by St. Teresa of Avila. Yes. Well, this really will kind of be our, our last discussion for this series on the interior castle. It, it concerns actually the fourth chapter of the seventh mansion. And here we're dealing with the highest degree of prayer that Teresa of Avila, Teresa de Jesus, knew in this life. And she's likened it to a, a mystical marriage. And we've been describing that now through our exploration of this final room in the final dwelling place where Christ is so present. But here she gives us some very good encouragement and, I don't know, a kind of admonishment also to keep engaged with the fray. Sometimes you have certain experiences in life and you kind of think that you can go into vacation afterwards. And she's going to kind of, or what she does in this last chapter of her book is kind of say, you know, the work has only just begun. And I think that's a good note for us to end this series on too. There's powerful work that God has for us as we've drawn close to him and we've drawn in union and likeness with him. We've entered into a deep friendship with him. The beautiful work that he is doing in the world doesn't end in that moment, but really it's a a brand new beginning of something wonderful. I think there's a real temptation, isn't there, to think that when we have found a place in our spiritual life where we're very much at ease, we feel comfortable, I'm I'm here, this is where I feel the closest to the Lord, that somehow we think we've attained it. And when in actuality, as you just said, it's just the beginning. Yeah. In particular, one of the things that kind of happens as you've drawn close to the Lord is he entrusts you sometimes with very difficult crosses. And this chapter in particular shows you that these crosses are actually the beginning of a great new work, a a new participation in Christ's work of atonement. 
In fact, in uh, paragraph 7, she says, We always find those nearest to Christ our Lord bear the heaviest cross. Think of what his glorious mother and the apostle bore. How do you think St. Paul went through such labors? We learn from his conduct the fruits of genuine visions and contemplation which come from our Lord and not from our own imagination or the devil's fraud. Do you suppose that St. Paul hid himself to enjoy these spiritual consolations at leisure and did nothing else? You know that he never took a day's rest so far as we can learn, nor could he have slept much since he worked all night to get his living. And she goes on to talk about St. Peter. I am delighted with St. Peter, who, when fleeing from prison, was met by our Lord, who told him he was going to Rome to be crucified again. I never recite the office in which this is commemorated without feeling a special joy. What effect did this vision have on Peter? And what did he do? He went at once to meet his death, and our Lord did him no small favor in finding him an executioner. And she kind of ends this little reflection. Sisters, how forgetful of her ease, how unmindful of her honors, how far from seeking men's esteem should she be whose soul God thus chooses for his special dwelling place. For if her mind is fixed on him as it ought to be, she must needs forget herself. All her thoughts are bent on how to please him better and when and how she can show the love she bears him. And from this she explains that this attitude of heart where you are on fire to please the Lord, this is the end and aim of prayer. This is the reason for spiritual marriage. Spiritual marriage, this highest level of union, actually creates the freedom to love in a more intense way than you've ever loved before. And in many ways, it's the beginning of our Christian life. So it's kind of funny to say because on one hand, very few people get to this stage in this life. And so it, it's uncommon, although it's an ordinary development of our baptism, it's uncommon. Uh, and I'm asserting that this uncommon level of union and friendship with God, only those who enter into it finally begin to live, which means what about the rest of us, you know? Well, we're learning to live the Christian life, but what we're learning and how we're living it, we have to kind of be humble about. We haven't really yet begun to live the Christian life the way we should, and that we shouldn't get frustrated or upset or disappointed. It's a little bit more along the lines of God has begun a work in us, and he's going to bring it to completion. And right now, I'm kind of a work in progress. But what lies ahead is not something less meaningful or less full or less rich. It's something all the more. To use one of your phrases, Chris, it's higher up and deeper in. You're raised above your humanity and you go deeper into your humanity at the same time. The joys and the sorrows and the intensity of life are all the more when you enter into this friendship. And this is what God wants for us. He wants us to live life to the full. Even if it means suffering? I would say 
especially if it means suffering. I don't think people should be go out of their way to look for suffering in their life. Enough comes the way it's going to. But sooner or later, we are all going to approach the end of our life. And as we approach the end of our life, whatever that is in God's plan for you, there is always going to be some measure of suffering that's attached to it. And this level of union, when a soul enters into it and knows this level of union, even as their bodies are falling apart and their world is falling apart around them and all kinds of anxieties are breaking out even in their own hearts and it seems like nothing's holding together when you see all of that happening that's the reality the mystery of death and it's right in the very face of that that this friendship with jesus gives you a freedom to love right in the face of everything falling apart you have a a sovereignty over the exigencies of life they don't push you around anymore, not even death. And do you feel some anxiety and, and are there concerns for loved ones? And does it disappoint you that your body's falling apart? Yes, to all these things. It's absolutely true. Boy, I wish it wasn't so. <laughs> Jesus doesn't really want it to be so. But since this is what we must face, Jesus has decided not to abandon us, but instead has gone forth with his victory, we proclaim him risen from the dead because the sufferings and the darkness and the difficulties of life don't define who we are. The love of the Father raises us up above ourselves. That's what this level of friendship is. I've seen several times and I firmly believe that oftentimes the souls that kind of have resisted this friendship for most of their life, their final sufferings, Put them in a position where they're finally able to surrender to God and enter into this level of friendship. And when they do, even as they're breathing their last breath, there's something salvific that goes through them to their whole family, to everyone they love. Death is not diminishing them. Death actually is unveiling the glory of God in their midst. And Teresa of Avila, she's saying, this thing that I've just described happens on the deathbed. We could begin it earlier if we only surrender earlier. And suffering often is the doorway to that. I was speaking to a good friend a little earlier today who was looking for encouragement. She has a disease and her body's falling all apart. And it's scary. And she's a beautiful woman. And and all of a sudden she's losing her natural beauty and the shock of what this disease can do is is just kind of gripped her and the sorrow of losing her natural beauty has gripped her while i was listening to her the movement in my heart that i shared with her was that in the face of such a terrible catastrophe really and loss a, a loss we can't why ever underestimate how difficult it is until you yourself go through it. In the face of that, Jesus is giving her an even more profound beauty, a spiritual beauty. The beauty of our bodies in this life doesn't last forever, and all the good things that we have and all the blessings we have, they don't last forever. All these things are passing. 
But God, says St. Teresa, never changes. And if we allow God in the moments where we're suffering the loss of all things, if we allow God the space to communicate his love, if we surrender ourselves and trust to him completely, this allows him to communicate a beauty and a goodness and an integrity into our lives so that the circumstances of life aren't able to contain you or limit you anymore. You rise above them. And that already anticipates what the great work of the resurrection is. This new life, this mystical marriage, opens up to the horizons of the resurrected life. And it, the resurrected life isn't meant to be in some remote future reality far from now. The power and the grandeur and the beauty and the integrity and the strength of the resurrected life is something we're meant to know right here and right now. It's waiting for us. And all it requires is a surrender. Going back to your thing about suffering is God sometimes permits us to suffer very difficult external trials, trials from external things, catastrophes that happen in life to loved ones, to at work in our families. He allows it only because he has something more beautiful to give us in the face of it. Sometimes there's interior catastrophes that happen where the whole way you thought God was working in your life, all of a sudden he stopped working that way and you feel all alone, you feel abandoned. In fact, you suffer from profound loneliness. And in that very face of that loneliness where everything you were relying on seems to be taken away from you interiorly, this is where Jesus is inviting you to an even deeper surrender to his love. And at the end of the day, it's not morbid, sordid, I'm a suffering soul kind of person who you know, only bad things happen to. At the end of the day, there is a profound, profound joy that no power in the heavens or on the earth or under the earth can ever take away. And that joy, to have that unleashed in the world, even in the dying whispers of a beloved friend, to have that joy unleashed in the world changes everything. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. St. Teresa speaks to us today, saying, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. 
patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. O God, who through your Spirit raised up St. Teresa of Jesus to show the Church the way to seek perfection, grant that we may always be nourished by the food of her heavenly teaching and fired with longing for true holiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Teresa, pray for us. That we may become worthy of the promises of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. That is so compelling, Anthony. It reminds me of a conversation I was having with a friend as well recently, and in that whole regard of suffering and it seems as though, at least from my experience, in which I can only speak out of, that there is generally two ways that sometimes we react to that. One is we can become very imploded upon ourselves, almost like a, a black hole, with the, why me? I'm going through so much. This is such a hardship. And, and indeed, so often they are, you know, that... As you've said about suffering, uh, Lord doesn't want us to suffer. I mean, His permissive will allow it, but it's it's not our ultimate. And yet, you know, that implosion, that anger, can lead to so much despair and anger and so many other things. Where on the other side, I've seen it in in my own life, where when it explodes outwards in an embrace of that with kindness, humility, gentleness. I've seen that, you know, those beautiful virtues that will come out from somebody who is experiencing such things, but there's a inner peace, that implosion hasn't occurred, and yet there's an explosion of grace. Then, as you said, not only in the life of that person, but in the life, you know, of all those who are witness to that, it can be very transformative. I didn't mean to go on and on about that, but it, it I mean, it's a key thing, isn't it? No, I, I think so. And this Teresa, again, she gives us such beautiful counsel and opens up into a powerful meditation. She says, remember this, this is in paragraph 11, remember this, for this is of far more importance than I know how to express. So this is something very important to her. 
fix your eyes on the crucified one, and all will seem easy. If his majesty proved his love for us by such stupendous labors and sufferings, how can you seek to please him by words alone? And so that's what's being, when suffering comes our way, we're being offered the opportunity to share in the stupendous labors and sufferings of Jesus, to go beyond our words and our good intentions, to put it into act, to make it, to make it real. And this is where something comes up, and probably one of the hardest things, transitions in, in life is, especially for Americans where we have so much power. You know, power, the technological power, the power we have through all the gadgets we have in our life, the power we have from money and from uh, the privileged places where we live and so forth. All of that power increases our personal autonomy, but it limits our freedom. In order to go to grow in the freedom of love, we need to act against and actually sometimes renounce all the power we have, or at least some of the power we have, so that we are able to receive from God the freedom to love. She says this, she says, Do you know what it is to be truly spiritual? This is a number 12. It is for men to make themselves the slaves of God, branded with his mark, which is the cross. Since they have given him their freedom, he can sell them as slaves to the whole world, as he was, which would be doing them no wrong but the greatest favor. Unless you make up your minds to this, never expect much progress. For, as I said, humility is the foundation of the whole building, and unless you are truly humble, our Lord, for your own sake, will never permit you to rear it a very high unless it should fall to the ground. And so she talks about humility. You know, hum humility comes from that word humus, which means earth. And uh, so you need to put the foundation deep in the earth. And this is technology and power and money and all kinds of earthly goods that we have give us the a, an illusion of safety and security, of the power to influence others and so forth. And under that illusion, sometimes we never find the humility uh, in which to root our spiritual life. But when you choose to put yourself in the position of a slave, when you give up your autonomy and embrace so that you might embrace the freedom to love, you have to let go of a few things in your life. When you do that, this is being marked with the cross of Christ. It's, it's choosing to follow the way of Jesus, who did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but rather emptied himself and took the form of a slave, becoming like us in everything. There is a deeper freedom that the slave of God has, the deeper freedom to love. Therefore, sisters, she says, Take care to lay a firm foundation by seeking to be the least of all and the slave of others, watching how you can please and help them, for it will benefit you more than them. 
built on such strong rocks. Your castle can never go to ruin. I insist again, your foundation must not consist of prayer and contemplation alone. Unless you acquire the virtues and praise them, you will always be dwarfs. And please God, no worse may befall you than making no progress. For you know that to stop is to go back. If you love, you will never be content to come to a standstill. And so this gives you another, uh, she's talked about humility. She's talked about, so the whole thing has been about degrees of prayer, growing in contemplation. But now at the end, she's talking about the importance of humility. And then she introduces one more principle, and which is kind of what we began our reflections with. This highest peak, it's not like once you have attained it, you say, I've been there, done that, and you go on to the next thing in life. You must always make progress. If you don't make progress, if you come to a standstill, you lose everything. We're on a journey in this life into the fatherland. We're in a journey to our heavenly home. We're on a journey to a fullness of life and love, to a nuptial banquet of the Lamb. And so that means that we're continually being put in the position of having to make more progress. When you see yourself as kind of, I am the slave of everybody in my life. <laughs> when you put yourself in that, as Americans, we don't like to use that language and we have a terrible history with it. And I can understand the rebellion towards it. But on the other hand, how many power struggles disappear when instead of trying to assert and protect your dignity and play the one-upsmanship game and put people in their place, you don't do any of that when you see yourself as the slave. My job is to serve other people, to relieve their plight in some way. And I'm able to do this, and I'm choosing to do this because Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not deem being equality with God something to grasp at, but rather took the form of a slave. I'm choosing with my freedom that same slavery of love. And I'm going to choose that freedom right now in this moment for this person whom God has entrusted me to. And I'm going to choose this even with my last dying breath. That's the greatness of the Christian life. Not even death can stop that choice. Not even death can rob you of the power to love that Christ has unleashed in you. You had said earlier that many people um, may not attain this particular point in their spiritual journey and their prayer. And yet, Anthony, as you were speaking, I couldn't help of thinking of some of those who kind of bore witness about how they live their life. And I'm thinking of some elders that I know, the elderly, who at a certain point in their life, and those who have suffered very difficult, strenuous illnesses as well, but they get to a certain point in their life where they have to let go the self-reliance. They can't rely on themselves anymore. And they have gotten to a certain point, self-reliance isn't an option necessarily. And yet those who can embrace a type of strength that comes from grace, they seem to be meeting that. 
you know, they're they're kind of a direction for us. If only we could learn that in the health of our middle ages or when we're young. If we could just see what they've learned and the peace and the calm that they've attained while we still can, in a way, by releasing our strength. But I think those are some examples that just popped into my head of those who have kind of attained what you're speaking of. Well, this is one of the reasons why the great spiritual teachers are kind of unanimous, that if you want to make good spiritual progress, remember your death, because every day we have is kind of like a rehearsal. And in your death, for the final supreme moment of self-offering to God. And so how I'm offering myself for God now today, it's not disconnected from my last moment. And so if I'm practicing now to make this total offering of myself in love now, then when the day comes for me to offer it in the great offering, my last and final offering, my supreme moment of my life before God, if I've been practicing it my whole life long, I'm going to approach that moment in a totally different way than if I have been kind of mindless about the final things and living my life as if, you know, squandering this short time that we have together. Life is very short and every moment of it is a gift from God. Every breath is a gift from God. And we can choose to live in such wise, day by day, moment by moment, where our whole being is oriented towards his glory. And if we do that, not a moment will be wasted. But the longer we play that putting off game, like, oh, I know, but, and I want to do that, and I think it's really important, and I'll get to it someday, but that's the putting off game. I'll do it tomorrow. The more we play that putting off game, the more we are depriving ourselves of the privileged opportunity of preparing for the great offering that God is yearned for us to make from all eternity. It's happened a few times where I've witnessed in others, but also in my own life, I have to admit that as you grow in what you feel is your relationship of faith, and you want to go out and minister to other people, you want to, with zeal, go out and talk about so many things, and you feel very confident in what the Lord is asking you to do, and you pursue it with all your heart, all of a sudden, bang, something happens. Something will come about that will totally trip you up like a cobblestone on a Roman road. You know, there's something that will come along, and it just throws you totally off. And and in those moments, whether it's something that you know affects your physicality or if it is a, a shutting down of whether it's a ministry or a job or a relationship, those are the real testing moments, aren't they? Yeah. If you go to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for trials. And it's only by challenges and difficult tribulations that our love is proved love that doesn't cost anything, what good is it? And you can't love anyone really except at your own expense. We love in the face of all the difficulties and the circumstances. And so, yeah, we difficulties happen with good friends and health gets lost and, and dreams that you'd work for for a lifetime all of a sudden evaporate right in front of you. And, and this perfect situation that you thought was going to be for the glory of God and uh, lead to the renewal of the church, you watch it just 
disintegrate right there and in a tragic way in which you end up completely humiliated and embarrassed. I mean, all of those things have happened to the saints. I'm thinking of Catherine of Siena and Bridget of Sweden. And this is the pathway. This is the way the Lord has called us to walk. He looked like a total failure on the cross too. But if you find the trials and the challenges and things going wrong, I tell you to take heart. You know, this is uh, what St. Paul and St. Peter and uh, all the saints that went before us, if you read through this, she talks about Mary Magdalene and a host of other saints in this in this last section who suffered difficult things, chose very difficult penances and to pray and to intercede. But they didn't lose heart because they kept their eyes on the cross. They didn't lose heart because they were rooted in humility. The challenges and the difficult circumstances didn't impede them from a deeper love. It rooted them deeper in humility so that at last they had the freedom to love. And that whole story about Peter and Quo Vadis, where are you going, Lord? When Peter sees Jesus carrying the cross uh, back to Rome, you know, Peter was fleeing for Rome and Jesus responded to him, you know, I'm going to be crucified again. And Peter knew that he could not abandon his people in Rome he had to go back there no matter the cost. He made himself a slave to the people of Rome, a slave to be crucified for the people of Rome because he would not turn his back on them. Well, where did he find that courage? He found it from Jesus. And that's where we find our courage. The risen Lord is in our midst and the risen Lord sheds his light on us and feeds us with the bread of life so that we have his heart feeding our heart, strengthening us. So we can turn resolutely back to the love, the people that we are meant to love in our lives. She she explains in, in this, you know, it's not that you have to go out and be superhuman. Start with the people that you're living with. Mm-hmm. And and she says, some of you might think that I'm writing for beginners when I'm writing this. And she goes, no, this isn't for beginners. This is for those of you who are really mature. Start loving the people that you live with and then watch what God does. Don't be worried about what you can do or you can't do. Just simply be faithful to the duty of the moment, which is right in front of you. She actually, these words are very powerful. She says, this is at the end. I will conclude with this advice. Do not build towers without a foundation for our Lord does not care so much for the importance of our works as for the love with which they are done. When we do all we can, His Majesty will enable us to do more every day. If we do not grow weary, but during the brief time this life lasts, and perhaps it will be shorter than you think, we give our Lord every sacrifice we can both interior and exterior. His majesty will unite them with what he offered to his father for us on the cross so that they may be worth the value given them by our love, however mean the works themselves be. It's a very powerful thing. Yeah, we're going to have challenges. And and when we have the challenges, we're building our towers on a solid foundation. 
and the towers and the great spiritual achievements are nothing without the love that we put into what we're doing at each moment. And this, again, this advice is not for beginners in the spiritual life, although it applies to them too. It's for those who are very advanced, who are mature in the spiritual life. We must be humble. We must serve. The holiness that the Lord has given a soul does not exempt them from humanity. It does not put them above humanity. The holiness that a soul has been privileged to receive puts that soul as the slave of humanity. In this moment, by the most simple, humble of tasks that they perform for the sake of another person out of love, when Jesus joins that to his cross, something beautiful is unleashed in the world. It's very powerful, Anthony. Isn't it remarkable that it leads us outward, our prayer, when we talk about an interior castle, that the movement seems to be, we found something inwardly that actually has its expression outwardly. That's the whole image. You know, the castle is a, a crystal castle with the light at the center. And when she saw this crystal castle, the light should shone out from the center and illumined the whole universe. Well, when we're talking about this action of love, how is that illumination of Christ's life reaching out into the universe? It's reaching out through our acts of love. Our acts of love is the manifestation of his light in the world. That's the form of the light, the love that we do, the love with which we serve our brothers and sisters is the form of Jesus's light shining through warming hearts and illuminating the world with the glory of the Father. This is why there is a crystal castle. <laughs> this is why there are dwelling places and we can draw close to the light so that that light might shine through our love. Any final thoughts, Anthony? Let me just read this very last sentence of the, of the book. May it please his majesty, my sisters, my daughters, I'll add, my brothers, that we may all meet together where we may praise him forever. And may he give me his grace to practice something of what I've taught you by the merits of his son who liveth and reigneth forever. Amen. I assure you that I am filled with confusion at myself and I beg you for the sake of the same Lord do not forget this poor sinner in your prayers. With that, Chris, I hope that those who are listening to this conversation with you will remember us in their prayers, remember our families in their prayers. We are so privileged to be able to talk about such holy things in a way that builds up and edifies them. And I just completely am humbled by the thought that this conversation might be used by God in some way in somebody's life. But if it has been, if any of these recordings have blessed you, then please pray for Chris and her family. Please pray for discerning hearts and please pray for me and for my family too. I'm counting on you. Amen. As we pray for all of those who are listening as well and for the, the lives that they will touch because of the deepening of their prayer. Anthony Lillis, thank you so very much. 
Thank you, Chris. God bless. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lowe.